Hi, this is Wilson, lead pastor of Renew Church OC. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our sermon series, Psalms, the Internal Life of David, pairs narratives from David's life with Psalms that help us pull back the curtain to understand what he's feeling, how he's praying, and the way he's relating to God. LA is all about how you look and the two-second impression you give to other people. But God doesn't look at the appearance. He looks at the heart. I hope this series helps us to take our eyes off of the external and focuses our attention on developing our internal life with Jesus. Thanks so much, Kristen. Good morning, everyone. Really good to see everyone. And I missed you. I've been out for three weeks in Australia, Fiji, with my wife. She uh, grew up there. All her family's there. Her friends are there. And I was just thinking of you guys a lot. Fiji was like a pit stop. It's a cheaper Hawaii, by the way. We got a really nice room for $150 a night. So anyways, um, our hearts were with you, and we're just thinking about you all the time. It's great to be back, to see you, to share God's word with you. You know, when I was on vacation, I just realized how much we should have traveled before kids. And um, if you've ever traveled with two little kids, it's just a little different. It's hard to sit back by the pool and read. It's hard to reflect. It's hard to get conversation with your wife. It's, it's a little hard. I mean, I really valued the time we have together. I know they're, never, they're not going to always want to go on vacation with us, but just really, it was just really hard to find that that space to um, be away from them. And so there were a few times over vacation where, man, like my temper just flared up. You know, I, I, I think the hours stacked on other hours, my patience would wane, and all of a sudden I would just snap on them. And, and I snapped in ways that I've never snapped before. And I just thought about, man, this is something I really need to work on. That parenting is, is is hard and unnoticed in most people's lives. Like if you were with me, I would not snap at my children. Maybe I should have a friend with me all the time for accountability. But those private moments of, of our family lives, whether you grew up in your family or you're a parent now, you know that sometimes the worst of us comes out. And so for me, when I think about the unseen parts of my life that I'm working on, that's probably it. How do I not just be patient, but but come, when I come to a point when I'm impatient, how do I still respond correctly? How do I speak gently? How do I remove myself? So I've just been thinking about that. Now, you know that every Sunday we break off into small groups. And this is the question that I'm posing to you this morning. Like, what about your, your life are you working on or you're proud of that no one really sees, that goes unnoticed? It's not on your Instagram story. And so would you break off into pairs of, of two or three? If you came out as a couple, we'd love for you to invite someone in or two people in. We're going to share about this for five minutes. Then I'll come back up and we'll go into the Word together. All right, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for getting into your groups. Um, a few mentions. So Luna and Kenan got married yesterday. Kenan interned with us. The wedding was amazing. Luna spent like five years starting her wedding speech and uh, vows to Kenan. And Kenan spent five hours that morning starting to write it. But uh, they both did amazing, and they were beautiful, and we're so happy for them. Also, um, Derek and Amihan are getting married next Sunday. So I want to congratulate them. They, you know, they may or may not make it to church, but, man, praying for you guys. 
excited for you. And then lastly, it's Kevin Leong's birthday today. So please wish him a happy birthday. He's up there trying to help us with the fans. Thank you, Kevin. Good job getting him up there, Ben, walking him through those doors. Um, but man, we're so grateful for Kevin. He's just done an amazing job, a great teammate, um, a great friend, and has pastored our college ministry so well. All right, we're going into a new sermon series called Psalms, The Internal Life of David. And I've actually been thinking about the series for, like, the germination of it happened 10 plus years ago, wanting to pair David's external life, whether it's fighting the Goliath, being anointed as king or hiding cave, caves with his internal life in the Psalms, being able to peel that back and see how he's relating to God hear his innermost thoughts, his fears, his anxieties, his joy, and be able to look behind a curtain. So I'm really excited about the series, and it'll go for about three months, and every week we'll do a quick narrative of David's life and then the Psalms that's behind it. Now today we're looking at Psalms 19, and I just want to preface it by saying uh, we're looking at him as a shepherd, him as a child, and there's not a Psalm directly ascribed to that period of his life. There's other parts of his life where he's just writing like, I was in a cave, you know, like I'm writing the psalm, thinking about me in the cave. So this one, I paired it off uh, making an assertion that a lot of what he's talking about is placed in this inner space of him being a child before the Lord in the field. So I just want to pre uh, say that beforehand before we jump in. And then the second thing I want you to notice is that we're speaking about an internal life. And I want to make a distinction for you on that, and hopefully the question helped a little bit, that there's our external life. There's how we present ourselves. There's our accolades, our Instagram, the things people can see and read right away. And when I think about LA, it, we're all about the external. Um, I mean, as a broader culture, we judge each other in three seconds whether we want to network, whether we want to be your friend, whether you have value, whether we should get married. It's, these dating apps have almost trained us to look through people half a second, whether they're worthy of our time. And, and I find this incredibly sad. I used to be fascinated by dating apps because I had to make eye contact and use words when I met Nina. But I, I was like, man, it must be awesome just to, like, just to do this all day. But as I've been talking to more people, I, I think about the amazing men and women I know who would make great husbands or wives who have deep character, who are thoughtful, who are selfless, and just get passed up because they don't have that perfect photo or because that three-second judgment, they don't meet what people are looking for, that, that skin-deep stuff. And, and it can feel crushing. And we can see ourselves like the world sees us. That when we feel overlooked or unnoticed, we feel like maybe that's our worth, that we should be overlooked and unnoticed. And then I think about another conversation I had with a, a friend, and um, he has great Instagram photos and kind of the things you would look through. He checks all the boxes. He has the tiger photo from five years ago. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and, and I remember him getting dates pretty easily. But it seemed, to be, it seemed to come to a point where um, he didn't value those dates and maybe had a little bit of an inflated view of himself. And I actually sat down and I was like, you're probably not as great as your profile. Like, I think you're a good guy, but 
how elevated um, you are in the dating world, how easily people can give you credit because of how you look or where you graduated or your workplace, when those things define us, they skew us as well. And then we have this really important verse um, as Solomon, as um, Samuel is anointing David that God says over him. And it's really the theme of what we're talking about here. It says, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. What does it mean to give our attention and our energy to our internal life? I think when we're so focused on the external, it's easy to leave our internal life underdeveloped. And yet, that's what God's looking at. That's what he's focused on. That's what he cares about. If you look at with me at 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm just going to talk through the narrative portion. God rejects Saul as king. And when he does, it's because he directly disobeys God. So Samuel comes to him, talks about his disobedience. Instead of repenting, instead of humbling himself, instead of owning it, what does he tell Samuel? He says, can you go with me to the elders to make a sacrifice so that I can maintain my reputation, so that people don't know, does, don't know that God has taken the kingdom from me, so that I can maintain my appearance before man. That's the contrast between Saul and how we think about God anointing David. Samuel goes to uh, Judah. He sits at Jesse's home. They make a sacrifice together, and he says, I'm going to anoint one of your sons. And one by one, his sons walk up to him. And the first one he sees, he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Right? We're fixated on appearance. We're obsessed with height or accolades or um, our job reputation. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And after Saul goes through one at a time with Jesse's sons, he hears from the Lord, the Lord has not chosen these. Are, there any, are these all of the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing in health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise up and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Remember, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And I'm wondering to myself, as I'm reading this narrative, as I'm combing through the Psalms, what is it that makes this shepherd boy um, someone that God sees? How does God see David before he was a warrior, before he wrote the Psalms, before he rose up as a king? How did God see David when his family couldn't even see him, when he was invisible to his brothers? He was just a shepherd boy. He did what every Jewish kid did, got up in the morning, helped out with the family chores. For him, tending sheep, very ordinary going to the Jewish temple or synagogue to learn the scriptures. All of them did that. But somehow, 
in these ordinary and mundane circumstances, somehow when the external world for him was the same as all these other kids, his heart stood out. He was able to grow his heart to a place where God saw. So these are the things that I was thinking about in terms of how we grow our heart and what the Lord is looking at when he's looking at our heart. I'm going to invite Nate up just for a second. <laughs> so David was about 10 to 12, uh, 15 years old when he was anointed by God. And when you look at Nate, really cute kid, um, you're probably a little dismissive of Nate, right? You're kind of assuming he's like all the other kids. He plays with his toys. He likes Pokemon. Is that true? Yeah? And uh, he goes to school all day. Like, just a normal kid. And kids are often overlooked. We don't listen to them. When the adults are having a conversation, like, okay, can you not talk right now? When the adults are working, has your dad ever said that? Can you go to the other room? Yeah. Yeah, we all do that to our kids. But somehow, God chooses David at this age. That from his youth, Nathan, from your youth, from when you were five, three, seven, and ten, God is watching you, right? He sees how you play. He sees you in Sunday school. He sees the way you talk to your, your brothers. He sees the way you hug your mom. All of those things weigh heavily in the mind and heart of God to the point of anointing David as king at this size, at this height, at this age. Thank, thank you, Nate. So when you're looking at our youth ministry, when you're serving the kids upstairs, when you think of yourself as young and you dismiss your age, know that God has, um, is weighing your heart from your youth, that you don't have to accomplish anything to impress God. David's done nothing except for tending sheep. And God is seeing his heart. I also noticed that God is looking at the unseen parts of our life. And so much of our life is unseen. So much of our life isn't Instagram worthy. We don't get awards for. It's not on the stage. But those are the parts that God is fixated on. When David wakes up in the morning and feeds his sheep, God is looking at that. When David is like falling asleep by a tree, God is watching him. When he sees David in the mundane and in the mundane and unseen parts of our life, our heart is shown the most clear, isn't it? That our heart is revealed, our motivations are out there. If you see me as a parent, you'll be like, man, Wilson's a great dad. But if you saw me on vacation when it was just my family, those were the times that are weighty in the hand and the heart of God. And I wonder if these are the things that we weigh, that we emphasize, that we try to develop, or are we just trying to show and, and value the most highlighted parts of our lives? When we look at Psalms chapter 19, it's broken off into two symmetric parts. Psalms 19, 1 through 6 is talking about Dave's internal life of worship, how he worshiped God through creation and its beauty. And then Psalms 7 through 14 is about David's internal life in the Word, how he saw the Word of God and how he loved it. This is also a part of a larger series of Psalms, speaking about how man judges, rejects God's King in Psalms 3 to 14, 
chapters. And then chapters 15 to 24, how God accepts the king. So again, speaking about the contrast between what people look at and what God looks at. All right, we're going to go ahead and dive into Psalms chapter 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day by day, they pour forth speech. Night by night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They have no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So if you look at verse 2, pour forth is talking about, in Hebrew, a continuous rushing river. That the heavens, from the, its creation, is a continual speech, wordless speech, of the majesty of God. That the sun itself is worshiping God in its radiance. The colors of the sky is speaking of his craftsmanship, his beauty, his creativity. And even though it is without speech, who he is is displayed throughout all creation, throughout all humanity. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible quality, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that man so that people are without excuse. This is what we call in theology general revelation. What God is revealing of himself through creation that everyone should get. Whether you grew up atheist or agnostic, whether you grew up on an island and had no exposure to the Bible, there are things you should know about God just by looking at creation. There are things that he's telling you about him just by the beauty of the world around us, that he's powerful, that he cares because the wombat is really fat. So he cares about the wombat, about birds. He cares that he's powerful, that he, is, um, that he is divine, that there is a God that exists. So for David, he's in the same creation as all the other, other shepherd boys around him. He's in the same creation. He sees the sun, same sunset and sunrise as the centuries that have come before and after him. But even if you're watching the same sunrise, you might not be seeing the same God. He looks through the environment around him that is shared with all of the earth, and he worships God who is behind that creation. That's what's special about David's heart. That's what he's cultivating. In verse 4, there's this... Emphasis on the sun. He highlights it. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises on one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So here we see uh, David personifying the sun. It's like Steph Curry winning the championships, right? It's young, it's energetic, it has, um, it's victorious. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. So after the wedding night, if you go look at a bridegroom, some which might be in the, here on Monday, there's something really joyous about the bridegroom after the wedding night. Something really special about how he puffs up his chest maybe and has a spring in his step. And this is how he's describing the sun as a bridegroom, as a champion, and, and as he sees the beauty and the majesty of the sun, he sees the God who makes it. So how does boy David cultivate 
a heart that sees God. He spends ordinary moments with an extraordinary God. All of us have the ordinary moments that David has. But he sees an extraordinary God in those moments. He sees and hears God in the beauty around him. All of us commute to work. All of us sit down for a meal. All of us fall asleep. All of us go hiking. But some of us do those things holding the hand of God, whispering in his ear and hearing his whispers to us. Some of us sit down and we thank God for the meal because we've been trained to do it. It's fast, it's quick, and we barely remember him. Others of us do the same thing. We sit down, we pray before the meal, but we're humbled that God would provide for us. We're in awe of the food in front of us. We're grateful for his hand of provision. Um, you know, I think about Dr. Ken. He gave a sermon many years ago, and he talked about how when he is walking, going through his day, he, stands, he sits before God in the morning, and he looks through his schedule. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, he just imagines himself going through the day, commuting to UCI Medical, sitting down with his staff, performing surgery, going home for dinner. And as he's moving through the day, almost time traveling, he's doing it with, with Jesus. And he invites him into all of those different sections. Like, God, what do you want to tell my staff? How do you want me to solve this complicated problem in surgery? How do you want me to sit before my wife and spend my time uh, working out? And he's spending all of these moments, whether, whether highlighted or, nor or just normal, with the Lord. How do we create that space in silence and solitude in the beginning of the day to bring awareness and the presence of God throughout the rest of the day? How do we, how do we open a banana? Me and, me and uh, Kevin are fascinated by bananas. <laughs> you know, we were talking about this at staff meeting. We were marveling how it's like the perfectly wrapped fruit by the Lord. It has like serrated wrapping, right? Where you could just peel it. It comes down perfectly every time as a trifold. And we're just like celebrating bananas. And I think there's all these small moments in life where if you're present and undistracted and you invite the presence of God in, that you'll be astounded by bananas. You'll look up at your commute time and hear God's voice. Lastly, I'm thinking about beauty as well that David sees the beauty of creation. And I'd say my challenge to us, specifically in our context of Los Angeles, is that we probably only have, for most of us, and especially my friends who don't know the Lord, there's just one category of beauty, which is the human body of the opposite sex. That's, that's like all of beauty in our society. And it goes straight to lust. What does it look like for us to redeem that? To see the body, which I think is the most beautiful thing he's made, but to see God in it and to worship God through it. But then also they have all these other categories of beauty. I think it's important to expand our categories of beauty, to look at fine art, to watch dance, to be in nature and hear the waves consistently hit the shore, watch the sunset, be on the mountains. We need to expand our categories of beauty. And as we do that, how do we see God in the way he's created the world? Again, David had the same access to nature as all the other shepherd boys. They saw the same sunrise and sunset. They sat on the same fields. They had the same breed sheep. 
But David spent all those moments worshiping and seeing God beyond the physical environment around him. Um, if you'll go back with me to verse 6, C.S. Lewis says, nothing is hidden from the sun's heat. And then he continues to develop that thought because verse 6 and 7 can be really disjointed from general revelation to specific revelation, which is knowing something about God because he's told us in his word that we can't know through general revelation. But it feels like this really um, obscure and disjointed jump. So what he says is the line links the witness of the physical creation to the witness of the word. For scripture are likewise penetrating warmth and life-giving while also searching, testing, and purifying. So what he says and what our other commentators have said is that this idea of the sun is actually a bridge from this first half of Psalms to the next as we transition into the Word of God. So what does boy David's internal life with the Word look like? Again, I think it grew. I think he matured. This this poem was written with sophistication, so I believe he wrote it later in his life. But these parts of him, I think, were true and seeded from him as a child. It says, the word of the Lord is perfect, refreshing to the soul. The statue of the Lord are trustworthy, making, the wise, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. For who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden flaws, Keep my servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. So here we see David's love for the word. And again, David had the same access to scripture as all the other Jewish boys. They were all mandated to go to a synagogue, to have didactic learning from the elders and teachers where they would ask questions to one another. Oftentimes when they asked a question, the teacher would ask a question in return to help them think, develop a worldview, and understand scripture internally. They were called to memorize scripture. Many Jewish boys memorized the whole Torah by the time they were a teen. This was their greatest act of education, was understanding the word of God. But hundreds probably thousands of kids went to synagogues, memorized the word. But were, was their attitude the same as David? Did some of them go because their parents made them? Did some of them show up with sin in their heart, separating them from their love for the Lord? Did others come feeling like, okay, the word of God is optional. Like, I'll, I'll craft and edit what I, how I want to live and what I want to live by. So they all had the same external circumstance, but David had a special internal heart. And I get the privilege to preach to all of you this Sunday, and I think about how different your hearts are. Some of you are distracted. Some of you are triggered. And some of you are saying, this is the word of God, and I want to humble myself under it. 
a, a random story. I remember, <laughs> thanks, Ben, for giving me permission. So uh, we've had some hard years that we knew. I'd say this is one of our maybe the best. Um, and there was a year where everyone was complaining. Some of it landed on my preaching, which I can always improve, and I'm still, like, trying new things. Um, but, you know, when gossip starts happening, it's easy to see things in a certain light. And so, when, so Ben was sharing about this really tumultuous time in our church and how I preached a really bad sermon, which, you know, some of it, I think, was the culture. Some of it was sometimes I dropped sermons. And he's like, oh, this sermon sucked. I didn't learn anything. He didn't say it like that, but he was just like, this was a bad sermon. And then he watches Dr. Ken come up to me. Dr. Ken, you're the hero again. And sorry for not asking you permission. And, he's, and, he, and he tells me, hey, Wilson, I really loved your sermon. I'm really grateful for you sharing God's word. And Ben said that really impacted him. Because he's like, if Dr. Ken can learn something from this not-so-good sermon, I, too, should be able to learn something from it. And I remember uh, uh, hearing a pastor quote someone else on a podcast. This is how I cite things, where he said, people who are spiritually mature, it doesn't take much to sanctify. It doesn't take a lot to sanctify the mature in the faith. And when we come before God's word, as in our maturity, as we grow, I would say there's less boredom. There's less apathy. There's not this pride of I heard it or I wish it went deeper. And there's this humble submission to say, God, would you speak to me? And would I obey you? There's a marveling of his word. That's what I loved about my seminary professors at Talbot is they spent their lifetime in a book. They wrote hundreds of pages of dissertation on a certain topic, and yet they would stand in awe of it. So how can we look at the mirror, which the Bible is, and see our attitude towards God's word as reflected in, I think, boy David, and also not only where we are, but where we want to be? It's, he calls the word of God in verse 7 refreshing. That when we're discouraged in our life, when we feel anxious, when we feel depression setting in, or we're just tired, is God's word where we go for refreshing? Is it a burden or is it something that gives life to our soul? You know, this has been a really heavy month when we think about the school shootings, when Ukraine's hanging over us. And I hope that God's word gives you hope gives you a worldview, and allows you to look forward at the coming kingdom and gives you a, a hope in this great king. I got to join uh, UCI's gospel choir, you know, back, back in the day. And we sang so many hymns rooted and uh, settled in the place of slavery when they didn't know if they would ever be free. But they found freedom in Jesus in the midst of chains around their ankles and their feet. They had a hope in Christ when there was no hope externally. And as I sung those songs, they have, um, they have reminded me that there's always hope. There's always something to celebrate. And even if we're bounded externally, we can have freedom in our souls. For the slaves, this was the most refreshing moments of their week. For the African-American church, when they sing, that's when life comes to them when they sing and put their eyes on the word of God. 
It says that the word of God makes the, making the wise simple. And I just always feel so privileged to share the word of uh, God with you every Sunday morning, many of them. And I'm always humbled by this verse because I feel simple. I feel like I don't know much more than many of you, and many of you have experienced more of life than I have. And I am totally unworthy to be listened to week after week. I might have like three or four good things to say about parenting or marriage or friendship, but that's the limit. I'm just a regular guy. But it's the word of God that allows me the privilege and honor of having something to say. That it's his word that gives us insight into who he is and what life is and why hopefully all of you guys would show up on Sunday. It's simply his word. That's all I have to offer you. And I hope that when you're sitting with your friends, when you're mentoring someone, or when you're trying to give someone hope, whether it's a family member or um, someone you just met, a colleague, that you would believe that you're simple, but that God's word is wise and can help you give life to the people around you. It says that he gives joy to the heart and light to the eyes. That because of his word, our, we have joy. Because of his word, we see life in a totally different way. We see bananas and we find God as a craftsman. We see the sunset and we see the master painter using the sky. How do we uh, gain insight into life before we were blind and now we see because of God's word? His decrees are firm and all of them are righteous. That God's word doesn't change. It shouldn't be edited or dismissed. Every generation shouldn't have a radical interpretation of, of sin and righteousness. God is immutable and his word is immutable. How do, and, but because of that, we get to stand firm on something. We get to root our life on something. We, give, we get to trust something because of the great word of God. And then we see David's affection for his word. He says that it's more precious than, pure, than gold, pure gold. Do we see God's word with that kind of value? Gold's going to be worth a lot. We have heavy inflation. We might go into a recession, right? Would you rather have gold than the word of God? All of us have God's word in front of us, on our phones, on our desks, but some of us see it with tremendous value. We hold it closely to our hearts. We find it sweeter than honey, pure honey from the honeycomb. It's like dessert to us. We look forward to, to tasting it, to having it in front of us. David's like, it's not just honey, it's, it's the purest of honey. And so I'm thinking about my life, I'm thinking about yours. We all have access to God's word. But for some of us, it's sweet. For others, it's bitter. For some of us, it's pure gold. For others, it's, you know, it's like another thing we post on our bathroom wall. It's meaningless. We can have the same things but see it in a totally different way. And then David gets extremely intimate. He says, by them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. What David is, is saying is that keeping God's word is the reward. You don't get necessarily rewarded for keeping his word, but the very keeping of his word allows you to know and see him, allows you to be, avoid sin so you're not far from him. That's the reward. And it says, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden flaws. Keep your servant from willful sins. 
May they not rule over me. David finds freedom in the word of God. We either can be ruled over God's, by God's word and by the great and gentle King Jesus, or we could be ruled over by our sin. Those are our only two choices. David is asking that the word of God would examine him, would give him insight to his own life so he doesn't, he doesn't sin against God without knowing it. It's, it's the light that he wants shown for himself through the word of God that he could be innocent. And lastly, he says, may these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. David is completely unseen by his family, is forgotten by his father in the biggest ceremony of their culture with the biggest prophet in town. He's not called in. He's living an extraordinarily ordinary life. He's the same shepherd boy as all the other shepherd boys of Israel. But this is what marks David. This is why God sees him. This is how he crafts his heart. That in the unseen places, he says, God, I want the thing that consumes my mind to not be greed or lust or fame. I just want to think of you. I want my mouth to be about you. And I want you to see me. That when you see me, you're pleased. And you're pleased because of my heart. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts that are fully committed to him. God is always searching the whole earth for hearts. Hearts that are humble, hearts that are committed to him, hearts that are about his kingdom. And you might be missed by everyone around you. You might be looked over by the leaders of this church even, by your own family, by your workplace. But God is examining all of us, and he chooses us by the hearts that are in our soul. Whether we're spending those moments that people don't see or care about or know about, for him. So how, can, how do you want to cultivate your heart through growing in your internal life of worship in the word? You know, we've, again, looked at silence and solitude over and over again in the last three years, wanting you to think about your internal and your secluded private life. You know, how, how you're doing business when no one can keep you accountable, how you, what you're doing on your dates, how you're spending your late nights, that those are moments God is looking at and weighing your heart in. And as we want to grow in that, I think the first thing we do is just say, God, would you turn my heart to you? It's so hard to change our internal motivations. It's pretty easy to change a behavior, especially for a short amount of time, but to change what we want in life, to change the things that we desire most, that takes the spirit that he gives us in our heart to say, God, I might not want to change, but I want to want to change. Would you help me? And then after that, how do we develop the silence and solitude where we're staring at Jesus? And because we see him, because we see his word, we become more like him. That we're crafting moments in our day, in our week, to be with the Lord and to hear his voice. And then to hold his hand in our commute to our workplace, 
the in-betweens of, of silence, of being with our kids, to say, Jesus, would you be with me? And would you help me read your word and love it? Not just read your word, but to love it. Not just to show up on Sunday or small group, not just to open scripture, but to expect it to refresh your soul, to find the joy of honeycombs there, to know that it's everlasting and you can trust it. How do we come before God like that? Father, I'm so grateful for this church. I'm thankful for the way that you've called each of us into your kingdom, how you've gifted us with your word, even beyond the Torah, and you gifted us with your son, who isn't just the word of God, but is the living word of God, that we don't have a book to go off of. We have a person that loves us, that can tutor us, that can show us how to love you. I pray that this morning we would lean into you, Jesus, that we would fall in love with you again, that you are the living word of God that refreshes our soul. You are the living word of God that makes the simple wise, that gives light to our eyes, that endures forever, that gives joy to our heart. I pray that this morning we would find you and we would love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Erwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over this season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast. Or you can visit our website. And your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.